Welcome to the Your Own Food Coach podcast. My name is Pamela Kelly. I'm a registered dietitian and nutritionist for over 25 years. We've created this podcast to have a conversation to explore the world of food, nutrition, health, and body image together. You've come to the right place. This is episode four, Inner Wisdom, Outer Comfort, The Hunger Games and Emotion. We talked about wisdom of the body as a resource to help us find and build an intuitive relationship with food. In the last episode, we discussed hunger from a physiological and mechanical perspective, and I encourage you to listen to that podcast if you haven't already. In today's podcast, we're looking at hunger from an emotional perspective and the different types of hunger that occur. My client that we discussed last time was trapped in a habitual cycle of regulating her feeling of loneliness with food. This is a very common practice. What emotions or drivers or triggers do you feel when you are not prompted by stomach hunger? We're usually referring to these as food cravings or head hunger or heart hunger. So let's look a little bit deeper. There are three common areas that generate or spark a desire or a craving to eat that does not come from physiologic hunger. They are emotional, environmental, and physical. This is very different than the biological hunger that we looked at last time, and I want to explain these to you in depth. The first one is emotional hunger. That's that feeling of loneliness or sadness or depression and actually happiness that triggers emotional hunger. Eating has always been part of celebration, but I'm talking to you here about something a little bit different. If as a child food was a reward for good behavior, let's say you could have dessert because you finished your peas or Susie got an A on her paper, so let's celebrate It can lead to a lifetime association where reward and food are wrapped up together. I had a bad day. I deserve to eat. I followed my diet, so I deserve to eat. I lost weight, so I deserve to eat. You get the idea. This has nothing to do with stomach hunger. This is eating as reward, which is a trigger. We already know that eating can be a distraction from loneliness and sadness. It can become actually a hobby or a pastime. Eating can actually become a friend that has a predictable result and a comfortable sense of being full or being stuffed. My clients come to me sometimes with a sense of sadness of letting go of this type of eating when they're not hungry because eating has become a friend. Maybe you have felt this way too. In the case of emotional eating, it is important to recognize what those feelings are and what foods might be associated with those specific feelings. Some find it helpful to build what's known as a distraction box. These are items that are contained to help you learn distress tolerance. Some of my clients have found it helpful to have puzzles and coloring books and cards, maybe a a project that they're working on or knitting or sewing. Some of my clients find that having alternative behaviors Ready and on board help when emotional eating is likely. Alternative behaviors also might be like a manicure, a pedicure kit, or a home facial kit for self-soothing. For others, it might be a more physical 
idea, such as cleaning out a drawer or a closet or starting a project to work on in the evening when you feel most vulnerable to emotional eating. Others like the idea of maybe learning a new skill, like an art class or a language or a sport like Tai Chi or dancing. The key here is with emotional eating, you have to learn to listen to the wisdom of your body and know that if you sense these emotions and feelings that you are not cued into bodily hunger, there are alternatives. Remember that whatever emotion might drive your eating or cravings is still going to be there after you eat the food. You're just going to be full and you're still going to be sad, depressed, or lonely. I suggest that you talk to a friend, a therapist, or visit me about these aspects of emotional eating. It's important that you explore this with peace and calmness. The second type of eating that's not from hunger is environmental hunger. And this is quite interesting. Seeing foods such as donuts in the office or a candy bowl or pizza in the, in the counter um, might cue environmental hunger. It can come from the smell of food like baked bread or even the smell of fast food as you drive past a cluster of those restaurants on your way home. It may be the cola displayed on the screen at a movie theater or the smell of popcorn. Studies have concluded that often we eat in response to seeing food, whether we're hungry for it or not. Brian Wansink wrote a book on mindless eating that looks at this in great detail and is fascinating. After all, why wouldn't we eat a food if it were there? Our ancestors, we needed that we needed to get it while it's hot. And that mentality is live and well, even though it's doubtful. Many of the triggers that we have are actually what our internal wisdom would suggest that we eat. Other environmental triggers that lead us to believe we are hungry are family celebration, certain family members, or habitual or ritual eating that we do with certain friends. You know what that's like when you go to a particular restaurant. A client told me that when he goes to this restaurant, it's a cheeseburger and french fries. With the other restaurant, it's chicken tenders and a Coke. Clients tell me that it's with the best of intention. And when they know there's low physical cues, they're going to make a, a decision that's best for their stomach. They show up to meet friends and find themselves ordering what everyone else does, even though that's not what they truly need it. The key to understanding of environmental hunger is to be aware of what triggers you if you find yourself eating when you did not intend to eat and if you find yourself eating when you're not hungry. Look at it with just curiosity and inquiry. What might you do differently next time? Again, this is not a willpower issue. It is the gentle learning and understanding of your own internal wisdom that helps guide your decisions that you make for your own health and well-being. Judgment about you and remorse about the decisions you've made about food will never help you in the long run, but being aware of eating patterns and styles will help. The third hunger cue is physical. It's a craving to eat that's not biological, but it's interesting and it really deserves attention from all of us. These physical cues include pain, such as eating as a distraction. 
hormonal fluctuations such as what we crave during our menstrual cycles, seasonal eating, we are hungrier when it's cold and dark or rainy. Um, There's different types of year that promote non-hunger eating and thirst. Interestingly, thirst is a cousin to hunger and is often confused with it. When in doubt, take a nice cool sip of water or a cold glass of water when you crave something salty and you might find you are not hungry at all. You are thirsty. I know this happens to me a lot. So pay attention. Pain, hormonal fluctuations, seasonal changes, and thirst. Some food choices can also lead to hunger, such as too much sugar, which drives blood glucose levels to go up and down and increases the desire for more food beyond fullness, or not enough protein, which can also lead to blood glucose issues and drive hunger. With mindful attention in a quiet moment, you can learn over time to identify what and which triggers are initiating you into a pattern of eating that you find unhealthy or uncontrolled. Mindfulness is that present moment awareness and usually cravings or an appetite are hijacking your brain out of present moment. The key here is patience and understanding of yourself and patterns in your life. Jen Chosen Bays in her work with Mindful Eating and her book, Mindful Ways with Food, discusses a very interesting topic called the nine different types of hunger. This is fun and it's different. And many of my clients have enjoyed learning about these alternative aspects of hunger and you might enjoy it too. I'm going to list them here and I'm going to go over them briefly But if it sparks an interest in you, I encourage you to read her book and explore these concepts more in your own terms. The first one is eye hunger, the color and the look of food on a plate. I wonder if that's why we love cooking shows so much. Or notice a plate of food delivered to the table next to you in a restaurant and you think to yourself, I want what they're having. The Japanese were great at the skill of beautiful presentations of food. Interestingly, you can feed eye hunger without eating. Have you thought about that? The second is touch hunger, eating with your hands. Sometimes utensils make eating less playful, less enjoyable, less mindful. Imagine eating a delicious piece of bread with a fork and a knife. It would ruin it. Popcorn with a spoon? Hmm. Our lips and tongue are involved with touch too. What if the texture is not pleasing? Can you feed touch hunger without eating food? Interesting. Ear hunger. Think about it. Raw carrots and potato chips crunch. Crisp and crackling might suggest a food is fresh. What if you ate a potato chip and it was soggy? Or raw carrot that was mushy? I doubt your hunger would continue, would it? Think of an animal that comes running when they hear the food bag opening. My dog comes running when she hears me crack a hard-boiled egg because she knows she's going to get part of the yolk. There's another way ear hunger is used. It's called noble silence. It's a mindfulness technique you use when you eat in complete silence. What do you hear when you eat? And think about the thought of something sounds good. 
The next is nose hunger, and boy, is this powerful. Nose hunger is the taste and the flavor, and it's in most entirely about the smell of the food. Food becomes just fuel if you can't smell it, and you know this from the last time you had a cold. Could you satisfy nose hunger without food? The next is mouth hunger. Mouth hunger is driven by genetics, food habits, and family of origin. Some call it the party in the mouth. Sometimes we eat to satisfy just what the mouth wants. Do you ask your mouth what it wants? What it's in the mood for? This is a very important part of mindfulness because if you find, if you eat slowly, food may have lost its flavor or it's less pleasant to the mouth and you may be more aware that you've had enough. Stomach hunger is the one we've discussed before. Hunger pangs are unpleasant, and some describe it as painful. A client in my office told me that stomach hunger to her was like a raccoon eating her stomach from the inside out. Do you know that your stomach doesn't actually taste food? We relish the taste of food in our mouth only, and then it disappears. If you're tasting food after you swallow it, it's because it's come back up. Does your stomach like to be empty or full? These are questions to ask yourself. The next is fascinating, cellular hunger. The inner wisdom of our body tells us to listen to what it needs and what it requires. Have you ever craved an orange or another food? Seasons and temperature affect cellular hunger, and so does our health. Our cells need water, salt, minerals, vitamins, protein, fat, and carbohydrate. Do you ask your body what it wants in a cellular hunger? The next is mind hunger, influenced and taken in by media rules, the shoulds and the should nots. This is interesting. In Europe, food is connected and represented with love and satisfaction. In the United States, it's connected to rules and restriction, and definitely more pathological. Our mind doesn't always tell us the truth. But are we listening? The ninth and the best one of all is heart hunger. Food memories live here. I remember after my mother died, I longed for her fried chicken, which I never took the time to learn how to cook. Comfort foods usually live in heart hunger. Emotional eating can be part of heart hunger too. In our next podcast, we're going to look at the other side of this equation and fullness. We're going to explore how intuitive and mindful eating can help with fullness and satisfaction and contentment. Thank you so much for joining us today with the Your Own Food Coach podcast. We're all in search of answers, but maybe it's the question we need to consider, or maybe we're not even asking the right questions. If this podcast brought up questions for you, I encourage you to talk to friends, family, or a therapist, or talk to me. I offer virtual nutrition coaching sessions and have worked with people all over the world. Please share this podcast and subscribe. We welcome your comments. And finally, a special, a special thank you to my producer, Brian Strickland, and my brand manager, Malia Smith. This podcast would not happen without them. Thank you. The information presented on this podcast is for the enjoyment of all listeners. It is not intended as either medical or medical nutrition advice or counseling. 
nor is it specific to any particular individual. It is not intended to replace counseling, medical nutrition therapy, or treatment. Contact a healthcare professional if you are experiencing problems that seem health-related. Please contact 911 if you are having an emergency.